Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Have you ever wondered why? I know I have. Why do we suffer? Why does God allow certain things to happen? When was the last time you wondered why? Maybe it was when a loved one passed away. Maybe it was an unexpected illness or tragedy. Uh, Maybe it was unresolved anger about something that happened that you couldn't change or control. I don't know about you, but personally I have a few why questions I would ask God. One question that I would ask is why do children have to die? Uh, In Tennessee, where I served before coming here, in a two-year span, we had three kids in the the community pass away. And it was uh, tragic and unexpected in all instances. One was in a tractor accident. They was riding with a relative, and it was an enclosed tractor. It's got a little bitty seat right there by the driver's seat. And lo and behold, that door popped open and they fell out. And, you know, how do you explain that? Uh, then there was the couple that was coming to our church and they started coming to our church and they couldn't have kids and she she didn't tell anybody she started praying about it next thing you know she's pregnant and then they have a baby beautiful baby girl and everything's going great and then they come to me and say you know we're ready to join the church and the Sunday morning that they were going to join the church I get a phone call at like 5 36 a.m. I go, to the EAR, I go to the ER, and the uh, baby's dead. Um, then, of course, there's the uh, time when a girl, Elise's age, same age, I mean, they were in some things together. She just got sick. Everybody thought she had the flu. I don't really know what happened there, but she just was gone like that. There's a lot of things that I don't understand. That's one, one of them is why do children have to die? Then another why that I have is why do good people suffer? You know, I've got a, uh, I got a friend in the ministry uh, in Tennessee. He's retired now from the ministry, and he and his wife, they're wonderful people, and he's served the Lord, you know, all those years, and she's been faithful to support him. And he says, you know, my wife, Corey, he goes, she loves the Lord. She says, he, he, he says, I've seen her all the years we've gotten married. She gets up at like five in the morning, gets her coffee, reads her Bible and prays for about an hour. And she does that every single day. Now she's under 100 pounds. She's in a nursing home. She's got dementia and she doesn't even know who he is. I don't understand why, you know, why, why do, you know, good people have to suffer Uh, A third why question I have is why doesn't God intervene when people are abused? Uh, My senior year of high school, a new kid came to school, and uh, he was in our class. And uh, I was in a science class. I guess it was biology, chemistry, one of those. And uh, we would meet in a lab. It was a class slash lab. And the the class sort of looked like a lab because you had those laboratory tables, you know what I'm talking about, two students at each table. And... uh, he got put at my table, so it was just he and I. His name was Dexter. I knew something wasn't right. I mean, it's okay to be the new kid, and it's okay to be a quiet new kid, but he was beyond quiet. Uh, 
everything about his body language was completely defeated and submissive. When he walked around, he did this, like hands like this, eyes looking down. He never looked up. He never made eye contact. When he talked, he whispered. And, uh, and sitting at the desk beside him, when I saw him looking off, or one time when he had to go to the bathroom or something, I got a little nosy. Yeah, I did. And I, and I looked at his notebook. I knew, I knew that he was taking notes, but I also knew he was doing something else. It looked like he was diddling. And knowing what I know now, I look back, and what he was doing is typical of kids that are abused. He was drawing cartoons of little people, stick people, with little bubbles where they said things. And I really do believe he was expressing whatever had happened to him. You know, I look at stuff like that, and I go, why doesn't God step in, you know, uh, when it comes to situations like that. Why? 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 I think, honestly, we all have our why questions. Why does this happen? Why does that happen? Where is God in all of this? I'm sure you've wondered why. I know I have. Um, a quote that I have found inspiring is from Billy Graham, the late, great Billy Graham. He said, Out of pain and problems have come the sweetest songs and the most gripping stories. Now, take a minute and let that sink in. Out of pain, I know we don't like it, but out of pain and problems have come the sweetest songs and the most gripping stories. And so if that's true, and I kind of believe it is, then my question is, how do you handle pain? What's your song? What's your story? You know, Scripture talks about how God will give us a song in the night. He will. There's been times in my life when I was going through a tough time, a dark time, and God gave me a song to get through that night and that season. What's your song? What's your story? All I know is through the years I've learned that I want to make pain a teacher. I want to learn, I want to grow, and I want to become a better, stronger person because of it. Um, because guess what? You're going to have pain. It's part of life. It's going to happen. Uh, what encourages me is this. I've always been a person. I don't give up. I don't quit. I know that everything in me says that when it comes to a song and a story, one of these days we're going to be in glory. And we're going to be singing to the one who alone is worthy. And we're going to see the, the culmination of this story of what God started. He's going to finish. And I can't get past that. You know, Romans 8.18 says it so well. Romans 8.18, Paul said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. Now think about that for a minute. Paul is saying, look, no matter how bad it is right here, no matter how tough this life is right now, it doesn't even compare. It's a drop in the bucket when it comes to what the glory of God's going to be like when it's revealed someday and we're with him. Just, just let that sink in. Grab a hold of that. And then if you read the end of the book, you've heard people say, I've read the end of the book and we win. Well, that's true. Jesus wins. In Revelation, the very last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, the next to the last chapter in the Bible, it says this, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne, Look, 
God's dwelling is with humanity and He will live with them. They will be His people and God Himself will be with them and will be their God. Now watch this. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. A better day is coming. It may not be right now, but one day it's coming. And when you know, as Paul Harvey used to say, when you know the rest of the story, it just might help you get through your current situation and story. We're in the book of Job. It's in the Old Testament. If you find Psalms, it's right in front of Psalms, the book of Job. Job is known for how he was a righteous man, and yet he experienced a tragedy. We, we introduced this uh, message last week, and we learned that, that God said that Job was a righteous, upright man. There was no one on earth like him. And then the next thing you know, he loses everything. He had a really bad day. In one day, in one day, he lost all of his possessions, all of these herds and flocks and all these animals, all this cattle that he owned, and all ten, I said ten, all ten of his kids died in a tragic uh, situation. And all of that happened in one day. As Job is sitting there doing whatever he's doing, a messenger comes and gives him bad news, and then a second one, and then a third one, and the fourth one came and told him about all ten of your kids are dead. It was just like wave after wave after wave, and now all of a sudden Job has lost it all. The next scene, he loses his health. And so basically he has nothing to live for, but he doesn't curse God and die. On the contrary, he gets in sackcloth and ashes, which is a way that they, they showed humility and brokenness back then. And he says, you know, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh, blessed be the name of the Lord. And when his wife says, why don't you curse God and die? He says, why, why should I be foolish? You know, if we're going to receive good from the Lord, aren't we going to receive bad as well? I mean, life is full of ups and downs, highs and lows. And so there in Job, look in chapter 2, verse 11. Here's what happens next in Job 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends, Eliphaz, the Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, and Zophar, the Mathathite, heard about all this adversity that had happened to him, each of them came from his home, and they met together to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. And when they looked from a distance, they could barely recognize him. Imagine what all he went through. He went through so much tragedy in such a short period it was like going through a wreck i mean he was blindsided and bam there it was it hit him all at once and they don't even recognize him they wept aloud and each man tore his robe and threw dust into the air and on his head and then they sat on the ground with him seven days and seven nights but no one spoke a word to him because they saw that his suffering was very intense so for a whole week, seven days and seven nights, here come three of his friends, and they just sit there with him. And they don't say a word. And now that we know the whole story, because it's written in the book of Job, that's the best thing they could have done. That's the best thing that they did do. It gets worse after that. Because finally, uh, Job begins to, you know, open up. Well, here's the thing. Most of us live with pain. 
and you may have pain this morning. It could be physical pain, and you live with it every day. It could be mental, emotional, psychological type pain. Uh, I think if we're all honest, we've all got pain. And we've got the scars to prove it. Every one of us, if we've lived any length of time in this world, has been hurt. And if you haven't been hurt, I hate to tell you, but as a card member of the human race, you're going to get hurt. It's not a matter of if, it's when. And when you get hurt, then the question is going to be this. How are you going to deal with it? Because if you don't deal with it, it will deal with you. And you don't want that to happen either. So how do you handle pain? Well, most of us live with pain. And this thought, as I mentioned in Revelation and Romans 8 a while ago, this thought of a pain-free future, boy, don't that sound great? Can we get that now, like today, like yesterday, like I'm ready, aren't you? Uh, but, but here's the point. What about right now? I mean, it's great that one of these days, if we're believers in Christ, one of these days we'll be with God in heaven, we'll be there with Him in glory, and there'll be no more tears and no more pain and no more death and no more sickness and no more sorrows and all of that. But that's then. What about right now? And that's what I want to talk to you about today is what about right now? How did Job handle his pain? Well, as we read there at the end of chapter 2, Seven days go by of silence, surrounded by three friends, and then Job spoke. And uh, I just want to hit the highlights. So look in chapter 3 of Job, look in verse 11 and 12. He begins to ask why. Look at what he says in Job 3, verse 11. Why was I not stillborn? Why didn't I die as I came from the womb? Why did the knees receive me? And why were there breasts for me to nurse? In other words, here's what he's doing. He curses the day he was born. Basically, his heart attitude is this. God, if I knew my life was going to you know, play out like this, I wish I'd never been born. I mean, if this is where it was going to land, why even start? Why didn't you just take me at the beginning? Uh, that's how he feels. He's speaking out of emotion. Look in verse 16. In verse 16, or why was I not hidden like a miscarried child, like infants who never see daylight? In other words, there again, God, if it was going to get this bad, why did you even let me be born? And then in verse 20, he says, Why is light given to one burdened with grief, and life to those who, whose existence is bitter? who wait for death, but it doesn't come, and search for it more than for hidden treasure, who are filled with much joy and are glad when they reach the grave. In other words, he says, you know, some people live with so much pain for so long that they can't wait to get to the end because then they can say, I'm glad that's over. That's a bad place to be. And then in verse 23, he says, Why is life given to a man whose path is hidden, whom God has hedged in? You know, God, why are you letting me go through these things when I can't ever make sense of it? You talk about frustration and futility. Why, why, why? Job asked why. It shows that he's normal, right? Wouldn't we all do the same thing? I mean, if you get hit with this horrible tragedy... The first thing you want to know is, why? I mean, why? And that's what Job did. Then his friends began to speak. And what you've got to understand about his friends is the way they looked at the world. 
the way they looked at the world is black and white. God rewards the righteous. He judged the wicked. We know that's going to happen someday, but he also reserves the right to do that right now, right here in this life. And so with that thought, his friends are basically saying, Job, there's only a simple explanation for this. God didn't make a mistake. For all this bad stuff to happen, you must have really did something bad wrong, and we don't know about it. So fess up, man. What'd you do? That's his friends. How would you like that for therapy? Well, let's just say it didn't go too well. Basically, Eliphaz speaks. He's the oldest. He speaks there in chapter 4, and his speech goes through chapter 4 and chapter 5. And in a nutshell, he basically blames it all on Job. Job, you're guilty, man. I don't know what you did, but you must have deserved it because look what God did to you. Whew, man, that's rough, isn't it? Here's what Job said in a nutshell to that. In Job chapter 6, look in verse 11. Job 6, verse 11, he asked a question. Here's what Job says. What strength do I have that I should continue to hope? What is my future that I should be patient? Let me summarize that for you because we're covering ground here and I'm just going to give you the, the bottom line. Job's heard what he said. Job's already disputed it. But, but Job at this point is basically saying, Hey man, I don't need a lecture. I don't need somebody to point the finger at me. I need some encouragement. I need some strength. I need some hope. Do you got any? I mean, you're my friend, right? What do you got? Because this is it. I mean, you know, you, know, you love your friends no matter what. And, and when, when everybody else walks out, the friend's still there. Well, you're here. Thank, thank you for that. But what do you got to tell me? I mean, is, is that all you got? You're wrong. You know you're wrong and you deserve it. I mean, is there any encouragement at all? Can you give me any hope? I mean, when I, when I look at my life now moving forward, what's my future going to look like now? I mean, what is there to look forward to? What do you got, Eliphaz? Tell me. Give me something. That was Job's response. Unfortunately, it wasn't heeded by Eliphaz or by the other two friends. Then the next one, after Job's lengthy reply, then you jump to chapter 8. In chapter 8, friend number 2, his name is Bildad. Bildad speaks. Huh? You're going to love Bildad. You know what he did? I'll just go ahead and say what I think before I say what he said. Oh, yes, he did. Okay? Yes, he did. Here's what Bildad did. Look there in chapter 8 and look in verse 4. He says, Since your children sinned against him, referring to God, he gave them over to their rebellion. In other words, Bildad blamed it all on the sin of his kids. Hey, Job, I guess God had to kill all your animals and all ten of your kids because they must have done something, Job. Now, how does that feel? I can see it in some of your eyes as parents and grandparents. You're going, ooh, yeah, he went there. Yeah, he said that. That was Bildad. Sure wouldn't recommend him for anybody to go see for encouragement, that's for sure. But that was Bildad. Now, what did Job say to him? Well, I'll spare you some of it. You can use your imagination. Uh, But I'll get to what's worth looking at. In Job chapter 9, pick up in verse 32. In Job chapter 9, verse 32, 
And as Job finishes his speech to Bildad, it's what he says last to this guy that really jumps out to me. In Job 9, verse 32, Job said this, For he, referring to God, is not a man like me, that I can answer him, that we can take each other to court. There is no mediator between us to lay his hand on both of us. Let him take his rod away from me, so his terror will no longer frighten me. And then I would speak and not fear him. But that is not the case. I am on my own. In other words, Job basically says, look, I know you're thinking it's me. You're thinking it's my kids. You think that one of us is just a sorry, rotten dog. And all I can tell you is, to the best of my knowledge, we're not. And all I can tell you is, I don't really care about what you think. I just wish I could have my day in court with God. I just wish there was somebody, and y'all are not it, that could come with me and go to God and lay one hand on me and one hand on him and, and let's figure this thing out. Let's work this thing out. But Job says, there's none. There's no mediator. There's no go-between, and I'm here on my own. Now, for those of you who know the rest of the story, I'll tell the rest of the story in a little bit. But just remember, Job is an Old Testament book. This is before the New Testament. And um, Job is one of the oldest letters in the Old Testament. That was... That was his thought process, that was what he knew, and that's what he was feeling. Then you got the third friend, friend number three. His name is Zophar. And Zophar, in a nutshell, he believed Job was guilty, he was ignorant, and he was stubborn. In other words, Job, we know you're guilty. We know that some, you did some, come on now, you did something or God wouldn't have done all this in your life. And don't, don't, don't pretend that you don't know what I'm talking about. Don't act ignorant and innocent with me because I know you did something. God knows you did something. Quit being so stubborn, man. Fess up. That's so far. Well, let me tell you what Job said to him. We'll jump to chapter 13 now. And by the way, all of this is round one. In case you're wondering, we're going to be in Job for about five more weeks. And even though it's a long book, we're going to cover it very quickly and simply. Um, his friends come to him, and they all have this dialogue or this debate, and it's three rounds. And today we're looking at round one. And so here's the third friend, Zophar. He finally gets to speak, and he blames Job. He believes he's guilty, ignorant, and stubborn. And so what does Job say? In chapter 13, verses 1, 2, and 3, here's what Job says. Job says, look... My eyes have seen all this. My ears have heard and understood it. Everything you know, I also know. I'm not inferior to you, yet I prefer to speak to the Almighty and argue my case before God. At this point, Job is losing a little bit of patience. And he says, look, I've seen the same thing you've seen. I've heard the same thing you've heard. Matter of fact, you haven't been through what I've been through. So you can't speak to my situation because you don't know what you would do unless you are right here in my shoes, and you're not last time I checked. And so what I want you to realize is I don't really want to hear from anybody else. I mean, I was hoping that somebody could help me, somebody could encourage me, and I thought you guys were it, but I guess you're not. So all I can tell you is my one thing I'm looking forward to is I just want my day in court with God. 
He's the only one that's capable of explaining this to me, and he's the only one, frankly, that can do anything about it. I don't know if he can, but if anybody could, he could because he's God. And so Job says out loud in chapter 14, verse 14, Job 14, 14, he raises this question. When a person dies, will he come back to life? And if so, I would wait all the days of my struggle until my relief comes. Job is now thinking big big picture, long term. And he's saying, you know, if there's really something else after we die, and I knew it for sure, then I tell you what, I grin and bear it. I would hang in there and I would hang on because eventually I'd have that day and maybe it'd get all right. Well, keep in mind, this is Old Testament. And when it comes to life after death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and all of that, it was understood through a colored glass in the Old Testament. But then in the New Testament, God raised the shades and sent the sunlight shining through, and we see it so clearly now, life after death. And Jesus rose from the dead, and what that means for you and what it means for me, and we'll talk about that. So, here's the thing. When you read the rest of your Bible, there's more to the story than Job. You see, Job, all he can do at this point is identify with you, or maybe you can identify with him. You can go, man, finally somebody's speaking my language. I mean, here I am, I'm hurt, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm in a lot of pain. And I've tried to talk to people, and bless their heart, they try, but they don't know what to say. They don't know what I'm going through. They don't know what I'm thinking and feeling. I can relate to Job. He's been there, and he's done that. If anybody understands, he does. But I don't just need somebody that's been in the trenches that understands what it's like to be in the trenches. I need somebody that can lead me out and show me the way back home. Job's not going to get you there, and it's not his fault. He will in the end, but right now we're in the middle of the story. And all you can do is go, man, that stinks. But when you go to the New Testament and you look at Jesus Christ, you're going to find that if we listen to Jesus, we can discover how to overcome pain. I'm going to give it to you fast, so listen quickly. Number one, Jesus asked why. Just like Job, Jesus asked why. Now that's important. Why is that important? So you can know that even though Jesus is the Son of God, He also was the Son of Man. And He came and He lived among us. And He experienced everything that we experienced. And He understands because He's been there too. You see, as Jesus hung on the cross, the Gospel of Matthew says that about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama shabbatani. And what does that mean? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Isn't that the ultimate why question? Think about all the whys that are embedded in that one why question. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? God, why is this happening? God, why aren't you doing something? God, 
where are you? What are you doing about this? Why have you abandoned me? You know, when we get hurt and when we get full of pain, it can be so overwhelming that we get so overwhelmed and caught up in our pain that we feel like we're out there on our own and nobody else has been through it. Nobody else understands. Nobody could possibly hurt like you and I are hurting right now. Oh, let me remind you, Jesus asked, why and he experienced such pain that for a a moment in time at the cross when he became our sin barrier the father had to look away and he knew it and he felt it and he cried out my god my god why have you abandoned me jesus asked why number two jesus looked beyond pain to help us see what we can what he can do through it Jesus looked beyond pain to help us see what he can do through it. Uh, There in John 16, here's what Jesus said. He was talking about, he was talking to his disciples that he was fixing to be handed over and crucified. And they didn't quite understand it. It just, it was too much to take in. It was hard for their minds to fathom exactly what he was trying to tell them. And here in John 16, 20, he says this, Truly I tell you, You will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will become sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn to joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her time has come. But when she's given birth to a child, she no longer remembers the suffering because of the joy that a person has been born into the world. And so you also have sorrow now, but I will see you again. Your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy from you. Jesus compares the roller coaster ride that they're about to go through when they realize that he's dead, and he's gone, and it's over. And then, in a blink of an eye, on the third day, he will rise from the grave. He'll be risen from the dead, and they will rejoice again. And their joy will not be taken away. And Jesus is saying, look, when it comes to your pain, it's like that. You, you, you look at the pain and you go, ouch, that hurts. I don't want that. That, that. That's painful. I don't want that. And God says, you know, look at the most, uh, you know, ladies, look at the most incredible experience in life when you become a mom. And yet look at the pain you have to go through to deliver the child. And God is saying, look, sometimes God can take your source of pain, no matter how bad it is or how awful it hurts. And if you let God work through it, on the other side, there's so much promise and potential, you just don't see it yet. But God does. Number three, Jesus is our mediator between God and us. Remember a while ago we were reading Job, and I said, now there's more to the story, and I'll tell you about it in a minute. Remember when Job cried out, I believe in chapter 9, verses 32 through 35, he said, if only there was a mediator. I I wish I had my day in court. I wish there was just somebody that could come and lay one hand on my shoulder and lay one hand on God's shoulder and somehow be the go-between. His name is Jesus. Amen? His name is Jesus. Our God 
sent his son, Jesus Christ. He is our mediator. 1 Timothy 2, 5 and 6 says, There is one God and one mediator between God and humanity, and the man's name is Christ Jesus. And what did he do? He gave himself as a ransom for all, a testimony at the proper time. He gave himself as a ransom. He paid the price. He took the punishment that you and I deserve upon himself. He died a criminal's death and hung on a cross between two thieves, not because he was guilty, but because we deserve that death, but he took our place. I don't know about you, but we have a mediator in Jesus Christ. And the fourth thing, Jesus lives forever and we will be with him. Now, let me qualify that. Jesus does live forever. When he rose from the dead, he'll never die again, and he'll live forevermore. And we will be with him. That is, if you are a child of God. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then yes, one day you too will be with him. You know, when Jesus' friend Lazarus died, and he, he's, he's late, he doesn't even show up to the funeral. Matter of fact, word gets, gets to Jesus, hey, your, your friend Lazarus is sick, and he purposely waits two more days. And then he says, well, our friend Lazarus is sick, but I'm going to go wake him up. And the disciples go, well, Lord, if he's asleep, he'll get better. And finally, Jesus has to say he's dead. But I'm going to wake him up. Let's go. Huh? What? I bet on the way they were going, did he just... Did he? Did you hear? Nah. Anyway, they get there, and they've already had the funeral. He's been in the tomb like four days, and at that point, bodies decompose, and they start to stink. And he gets there, and Martha's the first one that meets Jesus. And here's what Jesus says to Martha. It's in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And he went on to say, do you believe this? You know, in Job, we read a while ago, that he hung on to one little thing. If I just knew that after I die, there's something more, then I would just hang in there until that moment came. And then maybe, just maybe I could get some closure. Maybe everything could get right. Maybe I could have my day in court. Oh, I want you to know that Jesus is not only our mediator between God and man, but Jesus said, I am the resurrection, I am the life, and if you believe in me, even though you die physically, you will continue to live, says the one who rose from the dead. That's pretty awesome. So what does all this mean? What am I driving at this morning? Warren Wearsby, who, by the way, is a, Wonderful, dear man of God, and he passed away Thursday, I think, at the age of 89. Warren Wiersbe has been a preacher of the gospel for many years, wrote a lot of books. And one of his quotes that I love that I want to mention this morning is this. Warren Wiersbe said, God doesn't promise to remove our pain or even to relieve our pain, but he does promise to transform it and use it of his own eternal purpose. Let that sink in for a minute. God doesn't promise to take the pain away. Paul had a thorn in the flesh, and he asked God three times to take it away, 
And all God said was, my grace is sufficient for you. When you're weak, then you're strong because I'll give you the strength. Sometimes God don't take away the pain. Sometimes, dare I say, maybe he doesn't relieve the pain, or at least not the way you want it. But there's one thing he does promise to do. He can transform that pain for his own purpose. He can take your mess and turn it into a message. He can take your problem and make it a platform for his glory. There's so many things God can do. What I want you to understand today is this. If you're hurting today and you don't know how to deal with it, all I can say is please deal with it. Go to God and deal with your pain or it'll deal with you. If you leave pain alone, it's like a sore toe. If you don't, if you don't treat your sore toe, and by the way, I got one. Too much information, right? And, uh, and if you don't treat that sore toe, what happens? Then it starts hurting. And then the next thing you know, your foot hurts. And then your leg hurts. And then the next thing you know, your whole body aches. Can I tell you that when you have pain in your life, if you don't deal with it, it'll deal with you. It'll eat you up. It'll chew you up, and it'll spit you out. But I want you to know, you don't have to be in despair like Job was and go, why, 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 and then go to friends because we all need friends to lean on and talk to, right? And none of them can satisfy. Nobody can answer those burning questions you have. It just doesn't make sense. Matter of fact, if anything, you walk away and go, they think I'm the problem, you know? And yet, here's the thing. Jesus says, if you will come to me, I've been there, done that. I've asked why. I've been hurt. I told you last week, we serve a God who has scars. When you get to heaven someday, you think you've got scars? Wait till you see Jesus. Look at his hands. Look at his feet. And yet he says, I can transform your pain. I can heal you of your hurt. But you've got to come to me. Will you come to him? See, we're always looking for the quick fix. We're looking for the Band-Aid. We're looking for the uh, magic pill. We're looking for the silver bullet. We're looking for that one thing that we can do, that we can take and go, got this. No, you don't. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Because he has this. Let's all stand. Musicians, if you would come. We're going to have our time of invitation. I just want you to know something that maybe Job didn't know because of the time in history that he lived, that we have good news. We have a God who loves us so much that he sang about in John 3.16 a few moments ago. We have a God that loves us so much that he gave his one and only son so that any who come to him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Will you come to Jesus this morning? Maybe God is speaking to your heart. So many times people let pain cause them to run from God. I want to turn that around and say, why don't you let pain encourage you to run to God? Because we have a God who understands. We have a God who has scars. You see, he got hurt not because he deserved it. He got hurt. Because he loved us so much, he stepped in the path and he took it 
for you and me. That's how much He loves us. So whatever God's saying to you this morning, I want to encourage you to step out and do what God's called you to do. If you've never been saved, you just need to cry out to God, God, I, I believe that you sent your son. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose from the dead, and I'm asking you to come into my life and save me. And it's not the words, it's the attitude of the heart. It's the prayer of faith. If you'll ask him to do that, he'll do it. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.